Hello, my podcast family. Welcome to Caregiving is a Ministry, where we look at the Word of God through the lens of caregiving. Today, we're going to be in the book of Titus, and I'm not going to read it in its entirety like I did Philemon, but it's a short um, little letter as well, two chapters, and so we're going, going to be looking at various chapters, I mean not chapters, but various verses to get a feel for how Paul provides oversight or shepherding to this body of believers. So we're going to start in chapter 1, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 7, reading from the New American Standard Bible. And it says, Paul, a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the faith of those chosen of God and the knowledge of the truth which is according to godliness, in the hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised long ages ago, but at the proper time revealed his word and the proclamation with which I was entrusted according to the commandment of God our Savior. To Titus, my true son in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. And then I want to read... Well, and after he says that, then verse 5 says, For this reason I left you in Crete, that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. Namely, if any man is beyond reproach, the husband of one wife, having children who believe, not accustomed of incident, indecent behavior or rebellion, but for the overseer must be beyond reproach, as God's servant, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not overindulging in wine, not a bully, not greedy of money. And then chapter 2, verses 1 through 2 read, But as for you, proclaim the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. Older men are to be temperate, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, in perseverance. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to wine, teaching what is good. So we'll just look at those two, uh, those um, passages of scripture. And what we can tell right off the bat is that, once again, it is clear that Paul is writing to a specific person, just as he did in the letter to Philemon, who was a dear friend and a member of the body of Christ there in Colossae. Here he's writing to Titus, who is a fellow itinerant preacher, (laughs) one of his protégés. Titus is on the island of Crete where um, to preach the, the gospel. And both Paul and Titus agreed that Titus should stay there so that he could help the new believers. So Paul left him there. We can assume Titus agreed, but they're there in Crete. And so this is where the letter um goes to to Crete and specifically to Titus and the letter is a letter of encouragement but also instruction 
full of instruction. And later you can read, you know, the two chapters in your entirety, which to me is very rich on Christian behavior. A lot of Paul's letters, really to me all of Paul's letters are on Christian behavior and squashing um, false doctrine. So, for me, Christian behavior, how we are to live as Christians, it reminds us of who we are in Christ. Our behavior is to be a witness to the relationship that we profess to have in Christ. And that's what this letter gets at. Our faith should emulate in our behavior. Paul doesn't want people to wander or wonder who we are in Christ. He wants our lives to shout that we are children of the Most High God. And so for this new congregation, Paul is reinforcing the need for order and structure in the body of Christ and how they are to behave. But I want to pause here because I want us to not forget about the 12 now apostles that are still in Jerusalem. They are shepherding the believers there. And what I want you to remember is that those believers who are now in Jerusalem, that the 12 apostles are busy shepherding and creating structure, those were previously Jewish converts, or they are Jewish converts. Recall that Jesus and his disciples practiced Judaism. It wasn't until Jesus' ascension into heaven where he instructed the disciples to go out into Judea and to Samaria and preach the gospel. This is Greta Bennett phrasing. (laughs) What we now call the Great Commission, which is found at the end of um, uh, Matthew. That's when the fracture occurred between Christianity and Judaism. Basically when Jesus ascended, when he ascended into heaven and he gave the instruction to the disciples and then they got busy with spreading the gospel. These believers were called the way initially. And it wasn't later until I believe the city of Antioch where the name they got labeled as Christians. Oh, they're Christians. And it was meant as a mocking derogatory term, but it stuck. The early believers liked it and we like it too. And so hence why we are now called Christians. But during this time frame, that terminology of labeling the distinction between people who practiced Judaism and people who followed Christ was called the way. So the disciples are in Jerusalem and they are preaching Jesus to their fellow Jews so that they will come out of Judaism and start practicing um, what we now call Christianity. So in essence, the 12 are working with fellow Jews and Paul works outside of Jerusalem with non-Jews, the Gentiles. And I think, I know I have, but I think sometimes we collectively, we really haven't been taught that Paul worked in tandem with the apostles in Jerusalem. He was not this rogue person off doing his own thing. He worked with them. It's like they understood Paul is going out to the Gentiles now that we understand that Christ 
is for everyone. We're going to stay here with these people to help convert them out of Judaism. And so Paul made frequent trips back to Jerusalem to give the 12, which formed the Jerusalem Council, a report on the number of converts and, and that were occurring amongst the Gentiles so that they were seeing that God was working in the Gentile community as well. And the 12 were setting guidelines as to church order and church function. So the instruction that we find Paul providing to Titus was sanctioned by Jerusalem, by the Jerusalem Council or the 12 apostles now. Because remember, they chose another apostle after um, Judas. And we'll see more of that when we continue our discovery of Paul, of him reporting back to Jerusalem or having that correspondence. So Paul now gets to the meat of the letter when he starts getting in chapter 2 with Titus, with the instruction and the structure of the church. Notice that he says that there are to be overseers, and that's another word for lay ministers, what we're now calling shepherds. One person cannot do it all in a congregation. And we saw this way back in the book of Exodus when Moses was trying to handle the entire nation of Israel on his own. When his father-in-law comes along and watches, you know, Moses um, being the arbitrator of all these disputes and handing down edicts and people standing in line waiting to see Moses from sun up to sundown. And his father-in-law Jethro says, bruh, identify some good men and divide up the responsibility. Otherwise, you're going to kill yourself. Of course, that's Greta Bennett translation. But you'll find it in Exodus 18 verses 13 through 23. One person can't do it all. We have to have lay leaders. And so after Paul states the structure of, okay, identify this, these are what the deacons should look like. Then, I mean, or after he identifies that you should have deacons, Timothy, you need to set up deacons. Then he gives the qualifications for these deacons and lay leaders, lay shepherds as we're calling. Once again, the qualification is they need to mirror or model Christian behavior and what I think we miss at times is that our behavior as Christians really is to follow our heart our heart must be right first in order for the behavior to follow hence Jesus saying they will know you by your fruits the fruit is the outward manifestation of what is in our hearts So, what's in your heart today? If you don't know, then maybe you should look at the things you say and the things you do. The easiest way for me to really get to know a person is for me to talk to people. I like to talk to people. The language that they use for me is a key indicator as to where they are. And it doesn't mean their language is in their cursing all the time, although, you know, that does say something. But it's just how they speak. Are they kind, loving, generous? You can hear that in the words that they use. Or are they jaded and angry or um, sad and lack um, self-esteem? You can tell all of that by the words people say, you know, what comes out of their mouth then 
I look to see if that marries up with their behaviors. I wonder, you know, we look, we I hear what they're saying, and then I want to see if it marries up with what they do. So for me, one person can't tell me that they're really generous over and over again, but yet they only give when they're forced to. Are they really obsessed with money and how much things cost and how much you pay for this or how much, or I paid for this, but I got to do, you know, I'm like, that doesn't necessarily garner generosity to me, even though you say that you're generous, or if you're saying that you're a kind, loving person, but yet you're calling people idiots and (laughs) things like that. It just doesn't, it doesn't marry up. It, it creates an inconsistency that leave people wondering really who you are. And we as Christians, we don't want people to wonder who we are. We want our lives to shout that we are children of the Most High God. So what can we learn from this short letter that Paul wrote to his beloved Titus? One, we learned that Paul wasn't a rogue preacher ignoring the guidance that was being issued from Jerusalem. He knew that he knew that there was structure and he understood chain of command. That's why he reported back to him. And we will later see that when he disagreed with the apostles, that he would confront it to get clarity and then they'd move on. Therefore, We are not to push back on authority just because we don't like people telling us what to do. I remember I had a soldier early on in my career that um, had a problem with alcoholism that he couldn't um, seem to get a handle on in spite of all of the different um, programs that we sent him to or I sent him to to try and get a handle on it. He just really couldn't. And and at the end, it, it cost him a career. And as he and I were talking and kind of debriefing, you know, you're getting ready to get out, he actually told me, well, I, I have a problem with authority anyway. And you join the military. And, and that's exactly what I said, and you join the military. What, what, what did you think you were going to do? And he kind of laughed. He was like, yeah, I guess you're right. And then he confided, and I have a problem with women telling me to do it. And I just started laughing. And see, therein lies the problem. <laughs> But the reality is, as I was telling him, and as I will share with you, we're always going to have somebody telling us what to do. The Holy Spirit tells you what to do, unless you've grieved the Holy Spirit because you are not in God's word and you can't distinguish and hear what he's saying. Your parents as children tell you what to do. Your spouse, they tell you what to do. Hopefully they're all doing it in love. But personally, I don't like people to tell me the obvious like, I'm not dumb, so I, I, I know things to do. I don't have instruction. I, I just have a problem with you telling me the obvious, and then I can get vocal. But the Holy Spirit has convicted me on that on occasion, and I have gone back and apologized to people. We will always have someone in control to a certain extent, somewhere in your life. Even if you are your own business, we still have a government who is over us, some elected um, leaders that we need to hold accountable for making sure that things are equitable in this country. We hold them, we should be holding them accountable for things. But we're always going to have people in, in control. You own your own business, you have to pay taxes. It's 
you just can't dismiss that from anyone. So there's a difference, though, if someone is trying to take um, advantage of the positions that they're in. That we are not to do, and that you can push back on. Um, when I was when I was an active once again active duty, I had a lieutenant who told me one time that I was speaking down to her. I was shocked because I didn't think that I was at the time, but I understood that it was her perspective or her perception of what I was doing, and not my intent. My intent is never to speak down to anyone, and so I quickly apologized, which caught her off guard because you know here I am a superior over her and most times superiors don't apologize and so I sincerely apologized instructed her that I thought very highly of her and that she was a very capable person and that if I did it again because I wasn't aware of it just to gently point that out to me with the understanding of you know the mission still needs to be made and so there will be correction and she was like yes and and we went on with the relationship and so when you find yourself in positions of authority right you you still need to remember that there are people higher than not higher than you but higher than you in a sense not better than you as a person but just position wise that you have to report to and so you do that and then the people who are below you, you treat them with respect. We are Christians. Our behavior is to mimic the relationship that we claim to have in Jesus Christ. Secondly, Paul, we see in this letter that Paul understands the need for structure and to provide an outline for how that structure needs to be. To set up the body of Christ in Crete under Titus's um, authority, for lack of a better word, to set them up for success, to provide the guidance, and then allowing Titus the discretion to choose as far as the lay leaders who are going to be under him. This should be speaking to the micromanagers out there. I know you're out there. Do you have to know everything? Do you have to have your finger on the pulse of everything? Do you have to have a say-so in everything that needs to be done? Do you need to tell people everything that needs to be done? Because otherwise they won't do it correctly and you need to have oversight just to ensure that it gets done the way that you want to do. That I'm tired just saying all that. So you should be tired too. That's micromanaging and that's not godly. Paul gives us a good example of not being micromanagers. He goes to an area, he brings his protégés with them, they start preaching the good news of Christ, people start receiving Christ, he leaves one of his protégés there, okay, now you need to provide structure. He leaves, he goes to other things, he's hearing about what's going on, he provides them letters so that they, if he were a micromanager, then he would be there, and he would have stayed in one place, and we wouldn't have all of these wonderful letters to help instruct us and we wouldn't have as many Christians as we do today because Paul took Christianity out from Jerusalem to the rest of the world micromanaging it's not godly and think of it as you've got to give people freedom to grow into who they are to become and if you're consistently dictating or strongly suggesting how are they going to learn 
Are you listening to me, parents out there? In parenting, I know what my mom did for me is she gradually gave me the ability to start making decisions. Because you know what you allow your five-year-old to decide if there's anything is going to be different than what you allow them to decide at 15 years old. And of course, it depends on the maturity of the child because children are different. But gradually allowing them to make decisions does a couple of things in my humble opinion of not having children. So of course, you don't have to listen to anything I say, but... I think it does a number of things. One, it shows that you're trusting them. And as children, they they need to know, as I needed to know with my mom and dad, that they trusted me with some things. And that made me feel good. Two, it allowed me, but when they would give me instruction and when I would not make the right decision or or when things didn't go as I thought they would because I was young and I didn't quite understand all aspects of things, then it was a good opportunity for them to provide kind of like a, a, what is that, Monday night quarterback kind of thing. Okay, see, you, you went left, but if you would have looked over here, you would have seen that right was the direction. And, and we could walk that, we could talk it out, and they could help frame my way of thinking you know, to open my eyes to other things. And so I got, I got the freedom to fail in a sense. And you want to provide your children with that at appropriate levels, right? So that they can now come to you and say, yeah, this didn't go right. And what about this? And there's dialogue there. There's discussion. But think about if you micromanage and you dictate everything the entire time that they're in your household. That means that in theory, when they go out of your house and they make decisions that may not go as well because we're humans and it never does, how are they going to know how to recover from those types of things? You know, in our society today, there's, there are a lot of young people who are struggling to just recover from bullying and just all of the stuff that we now have as a result of technology being so available. The, the feeling of not being able to, to overcome. And I think that if there's good discussion and talking to your children and allowing them to know that failure doesn't mean that you have failed, you just failed at this, you pick yourself back up and you go on. That granted, I'm, I don't want to oversimplify bullying and the things that our children are experiencing out in the world but they need to know that it is okay to fail because you will fail at things and as parents we need to understand that there are things that we need to allow our children at appropriate levels I humbly think that one reason why children are experiencing so much is because we have allowed them to experience so much And it's hard to keep things at a manageable level when everything is at Siri, you know? But to be able to talk to them so that they do not feel that the weight of the world is on their shoulders. My humble opinion. Caregivers, this can be hard for us, the micromanaging aspect of things, especially once you get your rhythm down of taking care of your loved one. 
then no one else can do it right except you, right? Well, I think there can be. And, and there needs to be if you want someone to help you. Then you're, you're going to have to let go of some things. But it doesn't mean that you allow people to take care of your loved one um, in a standard, in a subservient, substandard manner, but that you figure out what are the have tos. Like you have to do these. These are the things that must get done. And, and, then, and then you kind of leave the rest that you can up to them in the way that they need to get it done. Like I expected my mother to have a bath every day even before she was bedridden every day and she liked getting a bath and so Deborah knew every day at like four o'clock to have mama bathe so that when I'd get home she'd be in her gown and and then I wouldn't have to do that when um she was bedridden Deborah still bathed her I bathed her on the weekends that was a must-have now telling her how to bathe or whatnot I didn't do that you know but having her bath, that was a must-have. Taking medication at certain times, that was a must-have. And so you have to figure out what those must-haves are and then provide that instruction to the people who want to assist you. Because there are people out there who want to help you. And they want to help you because, one, they love you. Two, they love your, the person you're caring for. And, and those can be two separate people, so to speak. <laughs> you know, you could have some really good friends who really don't know the loved one that you're taking care of. But because of their love for you, they want to help you. And so they'll help your loved one. Or you'll have people who know your loved one that you may not know real well. And so they'll want to help. And then you'll have people who are combined, who know you and your loved one and, and, and want to help. And, and just providing them with the instruction in order to do that will help them minister to you and help them grow closer to you and your loved one. Just make sure that their motives are okay. Now granted, if you have a professional caregiver, you have to make sure that that person's competent. And so I would recommend you write down what the must-haves have to be that have to be done. Because I went through a number of caregivers who would come on the weekends and I'd always say, okay, have mama bathe and everything, put her gown on. And what they would do is they'd bathe her in the morning. And then when I'd come back, you know, she'd still be in her clothes. And I'm like, well, did you bathe her? Well, yeah, I bathed her the first thing this morning. I'm like, that's not what I told you to do. So write, write things down to be very clear. And then you can go from there. But once again, we've got to allow people some flexibility. We cannot be micromanagers. Because like Moses, we're not going to be able to do it all. If we want to, you know, remain here and remain sane. So let's learn to trust God, write instructions down, figure out what our haves to are, and then move on from there. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for another day of being able to dig in your word. Thank you, Lord, for showing us leadership, shepherding, and what it looks like, and order and structure not only within the body of Christ, but also within our families. Help us to realize that you are a God of order, not a dictator. You do everything out of love and help us to do things, everything out of love as well. We thank you for allowing us to see how the early church began to grow and the issues that they faced as we continue to face issues today. 
But in all things, we are beginning to see the importance of bringing things to the forefront so that we can deal with them openly in order to move on. We are seeing that our life, our walk with you, is to be an example of the relationship that we have with you. So I ask that you touch every heart that is listening today. You know everyone's needs. Help the caregivers out there who are a little bit micromanagers. (laughs) Help them to be able to let some stuff go so that you can send them the help that they need so that they can continue on, so that they can be replenished and come back refreshed. Bless the loved ones who are out there. If they're in pain, Lord, ease their pain. If they are feeling sad or depressed at their circumstances and may think that they are in those circumstances because they have done something wrong and you are punishing them. We reject that now in the name of Jesus. And I ask that you speak to the caregiver's hearts as well as their loved one to let them know this has nothing to do with punishment, but that your ways are above our ways, but that nothing can separate us from your love and to help them to put their trust in you. We love you and we praise you. And we thank you for your word and your love and your protection. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, my fellow caregivers, go and minister the act of caregiving in the name of Jesus. Bye.